0: turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 as we get started today and continuing in worship as we have uh, worshiped the Lord through singing, through prayer, through reading and reflection, and as we will continue to do through the reading and proclamation of the gospel today and through uh, communion here in a little bit. So as you turn to Acts chapter 2, let me pray as we dive into the Lord's scriptures today. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you and God for a time to gather as your people, Lord. I got a time to hear a word from you to cling to your promises that come from your goodness, from your grace, from your covenant-keeping love and faithfulness to your people. God, I pray now that you would still our hearts and our minds uh, from distractions, from uh, the hurts that we carry into this room, Lord, that that they would be dealt with with the gospel, with the good news of the person and work of Jesus today. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, uh, we know the scripture has been written and has been preserved for our benefit today. So Lord, likewise, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us as we continue to worship. God, that your spirit would uh, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus. God, that you would transform us uh, personally in our relationships, in our families, and as a church community. Uh, God, that you would uh, change us to be more like you. God, that we may fee- feel the, the true freedom of the gospel, the true redemption we have in Christ, the true liberation uh, from the bondage of hurt and sin. Uh, and God, that we would run to you, cling to you, and, 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 uh, and be your people for your glory, for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter two, uh, where we were last week and we will be for the next couple weeks, uh, we're gonna read in verse 14. And down through verse 23 today. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is God's word. Friends, God always makes good on his promises. Always. He always makes good on his promises to his people. And this is good news for us. As we see in Acts chapter 2, where we were last week, it's a time of Pentecost. It's a, it's a feast of celebration for God's people to gather together to celebrate his provision for them, to celebrate his covenant renewal. It's a time for, for God's people to gather and, and to claim we are God's people and he is doing great things for us because he is good It's a time of expectation and anticipation that God would renew his people, that he would restore his people. Now, just a little context here. It's the first century. It's a time of Roman occupation in Israel. It's a time where uh, there is both political corruption and religious corruption. We see that uh, the devout religious people had gathered together from the distant parts of the land for this feast, for this celebration. Jesus' disciples had just seen him uh, crucified, buried. He rose again and and, and pronounced to them that he would come back for them, but first they had a mission to do, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here you have this great context of uh, both uh, religious and political corruption, but also personal and spiritual anticipation for God to show up. And so as God's people gathered, thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, this feast, to celebrate covenant renewal that the Lord would would show yet again his goodness and love and faithfulness to his people. We saw last week a in a couple of verses, that something amazing happens in the midst of the, of the disciples, that the Holy Spirit comes in like fire, and like wind, and they start uttering in languages that they hadn't previously known, and they start uttering in languages proclaiming the mighty works of God. The whole point of the Spirit showing up there was that the mighty works of God would be proclaimed through the disciples. Right after that, We see the religious folks who had gathered wise people, good people to celebrate God's goodness are are, are passing by and saying, what's going on with these disciples? They're they're, they're babbling a bit. Are they drunk? I mean, it's like nine in the morning. Why are they they drinking and a little tipsy? It may not be unusual for you guys, but it was in the first century. You can laugh. There you go. You see, as the religious folks pass by, they knew the scriptures. They were anticipating God's covenant renewal, and so they walk by and they say, "Why are these disciples babbling? Are they drunk?" And, and Peter stands up and starts proclaiming the good news of Christ. Now, what's amazing here is, is this is no longer the the, the spirits' uh, tongue utterance that we saw uh, last week, but it's still the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in and through Peter to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. He addresses men of Judea. These are devout religious people. They are knowledgeable people. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. I and mean, this is a broad pronouncement. He's like, hey, look, I'm not just going to talk to the religious folks here, nor am I going to talk only to the wicked sinners. Everybody needs to hear this. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem the religious and the wise among you and then the the poor peasants who are uh, total pagans. All of you need to hear this, what I am about to say. And he stands up and pronounces this amazing sermon that we'll see a little bit this week and a little bit more next week and the following week because there's so much here. Uh, I encourage you to read it. Read it out loud numerous times today. But the first part of it Peter proclaims the gospel and he cites the Old Testament prophet Joel. As he is anticipating, like the others, for God to show up, he roots his proclamation in the Old Testament scriptures and then ties it into how Jesus has fulfilled those promises of God. And as we look at this passage today, I want to invite you to be in this story whether you are a person who considers yourself devout, religious, and wise, and I I know the scriptures, and I showed up today anticipating God to do something, like the men of Judea, welcome. God is up to something. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know why I'm here. I'm a little curious about the scriptures. I'm a little curious about God. Maybe you're like those who are all who dwell in Jerusalem. We're glad you're here. God is up to something, and he is going to speak to us through his word by his spirit. The first thing we see here is that the the whole point of Peter's sermon is to direct us to Christ because he quotes this large, important passage from the prophet Joel and it comes down to the most important verse in that passage, verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. God promised throughout his scriptures that if you call upon his name, you will be saved. You shall be saved. The prophet Joel says, look, there are times that are coming that are going to be disastrous and wicked, times of oppression, times of uh, crazy things going on. But at the end of the day, verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise that we cling to. We go on a couple more verses. And we see that Peter addresses them and ties this to Jesus. The whole point of this scripture, the whole point of this passage, indeed the point of all scriptures, is to point us to Jesus. If we miss that, we miss everything. So as we break down this scripture, the first thing I want us to see is God's promise to show up. In verse 14 we see right from the beginning Peter stands up and lifts up his voice addresses the men of Judea all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my word He goes on to unpack the Old Testament prophet Joel in the last days God declares I will pour out my spirit He goes on to say he will pour out his spirit so that people will prophesy there will be signs there will be wonders Verse 20, the sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So the Old Testament promised that God would show up the day of the Lord. God's presence with his people brings two things. Judgment and deliverance. Judgment and deliverance are the two things that happens when God shows up. According to the prophet Joel, when, when the day of the Lord comes, sin and evil and wickedness is dealt with. It's judgment, but also deliverance. God promises to restore his people. God promises to care for his people. God promises to shelter them from the effects of sin and evil and death and wickedness if they call upon his name. They shall be saved. They shall be delivered. They shall be restored. They shall be redeemed. You see, in our context today, we don't like to talk about judgment. That's so mean. That's so harsh. Friends, God hates sin. He abhors evil and wickedness. But the beauty of the gospel is God deals with it in order to spare his people in order to save his people, in order to restore his people. We see this throughout the Old Testament time and time again. God never turns a blind eye to sin and evil. He always deals with it. We see the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. God creates everything out of nothing in Genesis 1 and 2. He creates things, says it's good. He creates man and woman, says this is very good. Then Genesis 3 happens, and sin and evil and rebellion enters the world. Man and woman, happily married, living in a garden. The tricky, deceiving serpent shows up and says, Did God really say X, Y, and Z? I mean, did, did God really say you can't go over there and do that thing? Did God really say this? And man and woman doubt. They distrust the Lord. We see what happens next is, is man and woman are kicked out of the garden. There's a consequence for their sin. There's a consequence for the rebellion, but God takes care of them. He makes sure they have food. He makes sure they have clothing. He makes sure they have shelter. You see, God dealt with the sin, and he curses the serpent to, to, to crawl on his belly and makes this great pronouncement in Genesis 3.15 that one day, once and for all, the serpent will be crushed He will be dealt with, the deceiver, the accuser, Satan, will be dealt with once and for all. But until that time, he's going to crawl on his belly in the dirt. So sin and wickedness was dealt with in that scenario when God provided safety, salvation, deliverance for Adam and Eve. We see in the and the story of Noah, the same thing happens. We see that God is, is judging the wickedness on the earth. There's a great flood that, that wipes out the whole earth, but God is dealing with judgment, and he's judging and dealing with wickedness and sin and that flood, but he also provides deliverance, salvation for Noah and his family and a bunch of animals in a boat. You know, the giraffe sticking out, smiling the whole time, it's always there. We have that picture back in the nursery. Just go look at it. That's how it happened, I think. It's like everybody's like, man, it's hot and crowded in this boat. The draft's like, not for me. I got a great view. It's like grinning. (laughs) We see it again in the book of Exodus. As God's people are in physical bondage for generations, God sends signs and wonders and plagues and is, is casting judgment on the oppressors of God's people. That sin and wickedness is dealt with in judgment, but God's people are delivered, they are saved, they are rescued, they are set free. A few hundred years later, the prophet Joel, as God's people have dealt with oppression, yet again, times of exile, times of oppression from foreign governments and armies, God's people are saying, yet again, we are in bondage, yet again, we are enslaved, and God says, I will deal with this wickedness, and I will give you salvation, freedom, deliverance, because I am a good God. Hundreds of years later, in the first century, God's people are feeling the oppression of the Roman government, and they're saying, God, when will you show up? And they gather together for the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem to to say, God throughout generations has always been faithful and good. He's always dealt with with sin and wickedness. He's judged that rightly and he always saves and delivers and cares for his people. People had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that and this is when the Holy Spirit shows up and says, this has come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Once and for all, sin has been dealt with, has been judged rightly and you as God's people will be saved. You will be delivered. You will be set free. Call upon the name of the Lord. Human rebellion has never ceased to cause us to not see the beauty of that truth. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're saying, that's me, man, I am there. I, I, I see, uh, I always thought, you know, maybe, maybe you were here anticipating God to show up and, and you're like, man, I need to be freed from the bondage of sin and evil, man. I feel oppressed, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here and dealing with the, the brokenness of wickedness in this world. And you're like, I want to be set free from that. Maybe on the flip side, you're like, man, I always thought God was just the angry judge that just wants to see me be miserable. See, God's promises throughout Scripture are that when He shows up, there is judgment and deliverance. Judgment for Satan's sin, death, and wickedness. And deliverance for the people whom He loves because He is good. He provides rescue, salvation, deliverance. But we have a problem. God's promises are secure. God speaks through his word. He has spoken to his people for thousands of generations through the prophets, through his scriptures, through the apostle Peter in this statement, through the the living word, Jesus Christ himself. But we as humans have a problem. We do not trust God's promises. We don't. We don't. There are two ways we usually express our distrust. One is just utter rebellion saying, I just don't believe it. And you just walk away from the faith and you close the scriptures and say, this is just not God's word. And you just walk away and live however you wanna live, do whatever you wanna do because you just don't buy it. But there's a second more subtle way that we distrust God's promises. It's a little more acceptable. It's what I like to call a gospel (laughs) short-sightedness. It's when we see a little bit of the good news, but we're not grasping it. It's when we hear a little bit of the good news, but we fail to apply it in our lives. It's when we say, I'll put it to you this way. It's when we focus on the signs that are meant to point us to Christ, and we camp out on the signs. You see, this is what's happening here is Peter Stands up, well, actually, before that, in the first couple of verses of chapter one, or chapter two of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit shows up and the guys start speaking in different languages to proclaim, it says, to proclaim the mighty works of God. And what did the religious guy say? <gasps> are these guys drunk? I'm like, dude, these guys are speaking in hundreds of, or dozens of different languages proclaiming the mighty works of God, and you want to know what they drank? I mean, if somebody stands up and starts saying, let me tell you what amazing things God has done throughout history, and if you were a devout religious person that knows the Scripture, you should be like, amen, amen, I am with you. God has done that. God is good. That's right, that's right. Nobody's clapping. I'm clapping. God is good. God is good. But instead, they're saying, "Ah! did those guys drink before church today? You see those guys they're good guys. I want you to know that the, the the men of Judea they are religious men, they are wise, they are good men. I don't want you to hear me saying those wicked, you know, dumb, no they're not at all. They're actually very very wise, they're devout religious men. They're good guys. But the sad thing is, is they had a gospel short-sightedness. They were not rebelling and utter like walking away from Scripture. Like we're just going to go be sinners because we don't buy into God's promises. Actually, on the contrary, they they saw God's promises and they wanted to believe. And then when God fulfills His promises, they're focused on the signs. They're saying, "Look, these guys are speaking in languages." But rather than to hear the mighty works of God proclaimed, they were camping out on the languages. Likewise, when Peter stands up and gives this great sermon and is saying, "Hey, let me just proclaim to you what." what happens in the, what, what God has proclaimed through the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. I mean, look at this. He says, it's like some crazy stuff. He says, look, there's going to be signs and wonders. People are going to prophesy, dream dreams, have visions. The moon's going to turn to blood. The sky's going to turn to darkness. And you and I here today hear this, and we may be like, wow, that's like wicked. That sounds like a great movie. And we start looking at the sign rather than who it points to. The whole time, Peter's saying, look at these signs through Joel. Signs, wonders, visions, dreams, skies dark, blood, fire, vapor, smoke, and it all comes down to verse 21. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ah, that's good news. That's a promise. How how do we tap into that promise? And he goes on to say, it's Jesus. Jesus who was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of angry men. It's all pointing us to Jesus. And if we, if we focus on, how, how many of you guys have ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many of you, you know how like when you're, when you're coming from the South Rim, I think it is, and you're driving, you're like, hey, we're going to the Grand Canyon. You see all these signs and you're on this flat road for like 45 minutes and there's deserts, tumbleweeds and stuff. And there's signs that say Grand Canyon, 15 miles, Grand Canyon, 12 miles, Grand Canyon. How many of you guys stopped at the sign for the Grand Canyon and got your picture and like Facebooked it and then turned around and drove away? I mean, nobody goes to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and says, oh, look at that sign. It says the Grand Canyon's this way. All right, take a picture, kids. Let's go. If you, if you camp out at the sign, the sign's good. It's cool. It's like wood carved. looks all rustic. <laughs> Melly and I stayed at the El Tovar Lodge. Man, that thing is awesome. Like presidents have stayed there. We had a blast. But if we just like look at the sign, it's all rustic and wood carved, and we miss what's at the rim of the Grand Canyon, we've missed the whole point. Friends, as we look at the scriptures, the whole point is to point us to Jesus so that we may call upon his name and be saved. And if we miss the signs, it comes from human distrust in the Lord because we can't take the promises of God. So if you're here today and you're like walking in utter rebellion, I don't believe the promises of God, great. We want you to. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will stir up in your heart and mind to embrace the promises of God that you need a savior and that Jesus is his name. But for the vast majority of us in this room, because we live in the over-churched, yet under-gospeled South, my fear is that we know so much about the signage that we forget to look at who the sign points us to. I'm guilty of that all the time. Well, I've read my Bible all the way through this year, and I've memorized lots of Scripture, and I've catechized such and such, and I know this and that. Really? You need a Savior. (laughs) I need a Savior. I need to be delivered from the rebellion within my heart that causes me to distrust the promises of God that says, look, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not everyone who memorizes X, Y, and Z shall be saved or everyone who celebrates Pentecost according to the custom shall be saved or those who don't do this and do that will be saved. Not at all. It says everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because our rebellion Our human distrust can be utter rebellion, or it can be what I call gospel short-sightedness. Good things, good things, but not ultimate things. Spiritual things that sometimes distract us. We see this throughout Scripture, so you're not alone. Don't lose heart. If you're like, man, gee, just beat me up. I mean, I I read my Bible all the way through this year. I'm going to get, you know, handed my tail for it. No, I'm thankful you read your Bible this year. I'm thankful that you are are doing the work of discipleship in so much as it points you to lean on Christ. Because this is, this is common. This is, you're in good company, man. This is me. This is probably most of us here. Look at what Scripture says in Luke 18. It's a It's a the story of the rich young ruler, Scripture tells us here. That's actually not inspired. The title of the story is not like inspired word of God. That's like added in later. So if it says the story of the rich young ruler. Um, but that's what it is. Listen to this. So a ruler asked him, this guy's talking to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute, distribute to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. If you read the rest of the story, the guy walks away sad. Can't follow Jesus. Is it because he's a total reprobate? No, it's because he's a good man who knows the scriptures, who has done all of the right things since his youth. He has gospel short-sightedness, distrusting the promises of God. We see again in John chapter 3, a famous passage, a guy named Nicodemus. Uh, here, let's read it. It's a couple different verses within John 3. I just wanted to cram it in there, read the whole chapter, read the whole book. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs That you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And then the famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see what happens here? Nicodemus is a good man. He is a, a devout religious ruler, a leader. He knows the scriptures. And Jesus says, you don't understand these things? It's pointing to me. These are signs pointing to me so that you would lean on me, so that you would trust me, so that you would trust that I am the fulfillment of God's promises. Friends, undoubtedly, this is how those at Pentecost were receiving Peter's proclamation. Undoubtedly, they're saying, wait a second, we're, we're devout religious men and we know the scriptures and now you're gonna, you're gonna quote the Old Testament to us and, and you're gonna do what now? And Peter's saying, look, it's good that you know the Old Testament. The prophet Joel is the inspired word of God. It's God speaking to his people. Now, don't miss what he's talking about. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So friends, I want to ask you today, as we sit here in this room and as we look at the scriptures and, we, and, and I'm trying to show you that all the Old Testament, of God's promises come true in Jesus Christ. And I'm pleading before you today to examine your own heart. Are you in utter rebellion where you're just like, I don't buy into the promises of God thing? If so... It's my hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit will stir up your hearts and mind to trust the promises of God. And maybe you're in this room and you're saying, look, I see the promises of God and I trust it and I want to do better and try harder so that God will love and accept me. That's not the gospel either. These signs point us to lean on Jesus as our Savior so that we would call upon his name and be saved, so that we would trust him. I mean, the word faith means belief, it means trust, it's a relational leaning on Christ. Calling upon the name of the Lord is not only one thing we do at one point in time just so we can get our get into heaven punch card, but it's something that we do every day because of our distrust in the promises of God. We distrust them because we fail to see that Jesus is the fulfillment. Here's how I know. I mean, this is a good little because we're I'm I'm with you here, man. This is me. This is us. We're humans. We look to false saviors in our lives rather than saying, I look at, I mean, that's the gospel short-sighted thing is we can say, okay, I see God's promises, but rather than a call, I like, I see the signs that I need a savior, okay? I know wickedness, I know sin, I know brokenness, and so I see that, but rather than look at verse 21 and say, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, we'll say, everyone who does better and tries harder will be saved, right? Everyone who knows more or gets better education or is more moral will be saved. What functional saviors do you have in your life that you seek to find deliverance through? Good moral works, good religious knowledge, and the best way to test what that is is to think about what your mind thinks about most, what your heart cherishes best. good way is to look at your calendar and to your checkbook. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? A great way is how, what's your first reaction in crisis? This is the best one. When you're driving on the road and your car explodes, the first thing you do is jump out and say, holy cow, I don't have enough money to fix this. You're looking to money to be your deliverer. You're looking to money as your savior in that instance. If you're having relational stress in your marriage or in your uh, dating or in your work, how do you deal with those crises that arise? I mean, if the first thing you do is like, say, well, I just need to call Dr. Phil, then Dr. Phil's your Jesus. And he's not a good Jesus. How do you react to crisis? You know, many of you guys are, you're working and you're just like, dude, work was awful today. And you go home and you, tidy up your resume and say, I need to embellish this. Maybe, maybe I need to do more to get my resume looking better so that then I will get a better job. Then you're looking for your education or your work ethic or your personal skill to save you. And you're not a good Jesus either. <laughs> Friends, my, my plea to you is that we would lean on Christ as our Savior. Because he is the answer to the promises of God's deliverance for his people. That we would trust the promises of God as the religious people have gathered at Pentecost saying, we know the scriptures, and we know that God has been faithful to his people, and we are anticipating covenant renewal because God is good. He's going to restore his people. That when you walk into this room anticipating God to do that to you, we... God is good. He's going to restore us as his people. How's he going to do that? Through the person and work of his son, Jesus. Because when God shows up, there's judgment and deliverance. And in Christ, there is judgment and deliverance. Here's the good news, is that through the person and work of Jesus, your sin and rebellion has been judged. It's dealt with. When Jesus died on a cross as a criminal, the wrath of God was poured on his body and it crushed him. Scripture says it pleased the Lord to do that so that we could be saved. The Lord is not pouring his wrath on you. So when God shows up, there's no fear. We don't have to be afraid that God's gonna pour his wrath on you. If you were in Christ, your sin's been dealt with. The wrath of God has been quenched on his own son, Jesus So that's good news. That's good news. When God shows up, there's judgment and there's deliverance. The good news is that not only has sin been judged in the personal work of Christ on your behalf, there's deliverance. The word for salvation is deliverance or rescue. I love that. My daughter has a a Jesus storybook Bible. It just continually says that it's God's rescue plan. The gospel is God's rescue plan, that he's coming to rescue his people. That word rescue, that means salvation. That means deliverance. That means restoration. I love that word. God is rescuing you because you can't rescue yourself, not with your money, not with your education, not with your good moral living, not with your religion, not with your interpretations of all the signs, no matter what kind of books and movies and conferences you want to have about it. I will not make a reference to a certain book, series, or movie today. Or awesome 80s actor who loves the Lord, and I'm sure he does. And I'll... At the end of the day, friends, it is my hope and prayer that we, as we open scripture, as we gather together in anticipation, that we will see the signs that point us to Jesus and that we will relationally lean on him as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the one who has dealt with once for all our sin, who has taken the judgment of God from us onto himself so that we would have freedom and rescue. Is that not good news? That's the best news ever. That's the gospel. We see it time and time again throughout the scriptures. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Amen, that's good news. Um, As we have a time of response, it is my uh, prayer for you that you would use this time, that we would use this time together to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up our minds and stir up our hearts, to reveal to us our need for salvation. If you are not uh, a spiritual, religious person at all. Uh, You are in in rebellion (laughs) and and, and don't trust the promises of God. It's my hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit would open your mind to understand and your heart to receive the good news of Jesus. If you're like me, the struggle is to distrust the promises of God uh, because of gospel short-sightedness, uh, looking at signs rather than what who the sign points to. We're looking at tertiary issues rather than the heart of the gospel. We too, if you're like me in this room, we need to repent. That means to turn. That means to be changed. We need to repent of our gospel short-sightedness and likewise call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Let's do that together. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the good news of the person and work of Jesus. God, I thank you for your covenant faithfulness to your people throughout all generations. God, I thank you for the gift of your scripture that points to Christ. God, I thank you that you are a good God, that you always fulfill your promises in your time for your glory and for our joy. And so Lord, for us in this room, God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts and minds to know you, to love you. God, that you would humble us to lean on you. God, that you would put within our voices the, the capacity to even call upon your name because we need to be saved. God, I thank you that the beauty of salvation does not rest in the eloquence of our calling, but rather the goodness of you who saves us. God I thank you that our salvation does not rest on our good works or good knowledge or good moral living but God and our, our we can't we just we just can't. And so I thank you that salvation rests on the finished work of your son Jesus who took your wrath the judgment of our sin and has dealt with it once and for all and it in turn offers us deliverance, salvation, rescue. God may we never ever lose sight of the beauty of this gospel. God, we thank you that you are a good God to us. And Lord, I pray that you would always be at work within us and through us, God, that this good news would wreck us as your people personally in our marriages and families and our relationships in this church community and our missional communities. God, that we would be used of you as a, as a ripple of the gospel through this city and downtown and West Augusta, South Augusta, North Augusta, God, through the states around us to the world. God, for your glory ultimately, for our joy, and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we thank you, amen.